Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Designing a Game-Changing User Experience, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to help resolve some of the world's biggest challenges and to create real business impact. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the game changers, you're in the right place because this is where the best run. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. Okay, I have a quote from um, an article in fastcompany.com about a study by McKinsey. Let me read you the results. They say, in a sweeping study of 2 million pieces of financial data and 100,000 design actions over five years, McKinsey finds that design-led companies had 32% more revenue, that's right, 32%, and 56 higher total returns to shareholders compared with other companies. So what's the key word in here? Design-led. I know it's a hyphenated word, but we're going to make it a word. So if you think design is just about making things pretty, think again. In the software design, the hard monetary gains, and that's what companies are looking for. Come on, it's always about the bottom line. It has to be, yes, we want shareholder value. Yes, we want to be sustainable. Yes, we want to do all kinds of wonderful things for the world. It's all good, but a company still has to survive. So the hard monetary gains in software design include user productivity, That's right. People need to work well and efficiently and effectively and not waste time. You need fewer errors. That's a good thing. Lower training and support costs. That's all a good thing. There are also non-monetary benefits to good design. User satisfaction. Come on, in our era of social media, you want your users, your customers to be very, very happy with everything you have for them. You want customer loyalty. And, of course, you want adoption of your solution. So what's the bottom line? User experience is increasingly influencing corporate goals and earning designers a seat at the decision-making table. Say what? Chief Design Officer will have to talk about that. All I can say is yes. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and welcome to one of our newest series titled Designing a Game-Changing User Experience. Let me tell you who my three special guests are today, and then we'll get started. First up, I'll be introducing you to Jonathan Shariat, S-H-A-R-I-A-T. He's a senior product designer at Project Ronin, and that's R-O-N-I-M. We'll talk about that. Jeremy Johnson, VP of Customer Experience at Project 202, and it's spelled P-R-O-J-E-K-T 202. I like that phonetic. Welcome, Jeremy. And rounding out the panel, another newcomer, Heike Rapp, VP of Product Design at the CX Division at SAP. So welcome to all three of you. And now let's get started with a quote Jonathan Chariot has sent us from Jack Ma. Jack Ma, if you don't know, uh, let's see, he's still around. Very young man, born in 1964, Chinese business magnate, investor, and philanthropist. He's the co-founder and executive executive chairman of the Alibaba Group, a multinational tech conglomerate, and he was, as of this January 2019, one of China's richest men with a net worth of a mere $39.1 billion, that's with a B, billion dollars, one of the wealthiest people in the world. Here is the quote. There is no expert of tomorrow, only of yesterday. Jonathan Chariot, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I am great. Thanks for having me on. Delighted. You sound great, by the way. Wonderful connection. Talk to me about the quote. Jonathan, I think this is the first time we've, quote unquote, had Jack on the show, and I'm very happy that you picked this quote. So what does this quote mean to you? What does it mean to us talking about the business value of design? 
Yeah, he's he's very quotable. And this one really stuck out to me because, um, you know, Jack Mines was used to be a teacher as well before he was a CEO of Alibaba, one of the biggest companies in the world. Um, and it really stuck out to me because, you know, when we're talking about why design is is so important for companies to be, you know, game changers to really grow and and add so much value to the company. Um, it's really because there is no expert of tomorrow, and that's what design does so well is constantly explore what's coming, constantly stay in tune with what their customers want. And so, you know, by the time you really fully understand what your users want and your industry, it's changed. So it's Mm. really important to have that user research and that design process integrated in your company every single day. Very, very interesting. Uh, Jack Ma is, is quite a hero. He figured out what people want, right? He figured out Alibaba Group. Yeah. He figured out what business is, the whole concept of e-commerce, and he just soared to the top of the heap. It's it's uh, gotten crowded over the years there. By the way, he is also seen as a global ambassador for Chinese business and listed often as Forbes, one of the most powerful people by them. He was ranked in 2017 number two on Fortune's annual world's 50 greatest leaders and he also is retiring i guess he he may be retired by now retired from alibaba to pursue educational work and philanthropy so i guess he knows when to say i'm gonna move on that's also a good thing right is 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 that retirement by design would you say jonathan (laughs) (laughs) definitely and and he seems seems like someone who's very very passionate about you know educating the next um you know, wave of people, and I think that's also a really important aspect of of a great, uh, healthy company is, is, you know, you have people who are passionate about educating the next uh, wave of people. Always looking to be a step ahead. Thank you, Jonathan. We have a lot more coming from you. Welcome again to the show. Let's move around the table just a little bit to Jeremy Johnson at Project 202. And Jeremy has sent us a quote also from another newcomer on the quotables list, Jeremy, from Leonard Bernstein. Uh, He lived from 1918 to 1990, American composer, conductor, author, music lecturer, and pianist. He was among the first conductors born and educated in the U.S. to receive worldwide acclaim, and his fame derived from his longtime tenure as the music director of the New York Philharmonic. He conducted concerts with the world's most famous leading orchestras, and he wrote music for West Side Story, Peter Pan, Candide, Wonderful Town, On the Town, On the Waterfront. He wrote a mass, three symphonies, and more, and I remember him very, very well. He was around in the time when I was growing up and uh, quite an icon in orchestras and in music. Here's the quote Jeremy has selected from Leonard Bernstein. To achieve great things, two things are needed, a plan and not quite enough time. (laughs) Jeremy, I'm sorry, I love the quote. How are you, Jeremy Johnson? Welcome to Game Changers. Oh, good. Thank you very much for having me. We're delighted. Tell me, are you a fan of Leonard Bernstein? How did you find this amazing quote? Tell me. Yeah, uh, so I, I spend a lot of time now helping teams kind of action on this promise of design. Um, and one thing that sometimes we could do as designers, and I have a design background, is um, potentially overthink things or take up almost too much time. Now, you have to understand. Mm-hmm. You have to build empathy. <laughs> But you also need to focus in on your company's business challenges. And so I, I, I've seen success 
uh, when you take teams, you give them that plan or that focus or that target, uh, but then give them uh, uh, just like like uh, like the quote says, just just quite a, a little bit less uh, time than than maybe they would want, and, and I feel like that pressure. Um, uh, and when they're under some amount of pressure, like really great things uh, can can be done, and that's just something I've noticed over time managing teams. Interesting. I I love the idea of not quite enough time. I found that absolutely fascinating uh, because we know a lot of people work well under pressure. Do you think designers feel that way, Jeremy? Is that should we take that literally in your application of the quote to our topic today? Yeah, it's tough, and it's definitely a balancing act. So, uh, you know, what what is enough time? Um, so if you're building empathy with customers, um, I, I, there's definitely uh, too little time uh, and not enough data or insight, and there potentially could be too much time where you're spinning your wheels or uh, collecting data that, that, that is, uh, you know, that you don't necessarily need to make certain decisions on with whatever that potential project is. So um, it's, it's not easy. It's definitely a balancing act, and it's it's determining insights and it's making sure those are uh, uh, that you're finding patterns and then you're actioning those. Thank you very much, Jeremy Johnson. Pleasure to have you on the show. And let's move around one more seat to hike a wrap at the CX division at SAP. And we'll find out in a few minutes what all of our panelists do, what their roles are, where they are today. So Heike has sent us a quote from Bono of you too. And I looked him up, Heike. I had no idea his background. <laughs> his full name is Paul David Hewson, H-E-W-S-O-N, and he has some nice letters after his name, K-B-E-O-L. I don't know what those are. Uh, He was born in 1960, also a young man known by his stage name, Bono. He's an Irish singer-songwriter, musician, venture capitalist, that I didn't know, businessman, and we know he's a philanthropist, best known as the lead vocalist and primary lyricist of the rock band U2. His lyrics are known for their social and political themes and also religious imagery and sponsored by his Christian beliefs. He was granted an honorary knighthood by Queen Elizabeth II of the UK for services to the music industry and his humanitarian work. And he's also been made a commandeur of the French Ordre des Arts et des Lettres, Order of the Arts and Letters. Uh, He was also named one of Time's Persons of the Year. He's also collaborated with Roy Orbison and Tina Turner and did the music soundtracks for the musical Spider-Man. And we could spend the whole day talking about Bono. Here's the quote. you got (laughs) to help me with this, Heike. The quote is, it's stasis that kills you off in the end, not ambition. Heike Rapp, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm very good, thanks, Bonnie. Thanks for having me on. Delighted. Talk to me about this quote. Are you a big YouTube fan? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, tell, I am tell me to about degree, the quote. but I can also tell you why I chose Bono because there are so many good quotes out in the world. But um, let's get to why I chose uh, this particular quote. And it's actually interesting because Jonathan mentioned it already the idea of change, right? Mm-hmm. And then Jeremy as well as uh, being a little bit under time pressure. So really the notion of its space is that kills you off in the end. You know, we are talking as designers, we're change makers. We need to embrace change. We look forward, right? We want to get from uh, these current situations into more preferred ones. And on the one hand, we're the ones driving this change. And a lot of times it's difficult to take people along because a lot of us are comfortable in how things are. And if it's worked so far, you know, can it work again? So this whole notion of change and innovation 
actually is really hard. And like I said, I mean, I'm sure Jonathan and Jeremy know as well. But just to say that space is, is just not an option. So we need to keep developing. And also, I always think that if you're not slightly uncomfortable, you're not learning something, right? So it's go out there, do something, and have your ambition. Keep driving forward, but make sure that you don't stay still too much. Very, very interesting. Um, the whole idea of change, speaking with the three of you so far, the idea that designers need to be, and, and everybody tell me on my right, you need to be a step ahead. Uh, somebody mentioned data, research. You need to be a step ahead and understand what people may want next or what they need and they didn't figure out yet. Just could you comment mm-hmm. on that, Heike, and then I'll go around the panel. Is that true that designers almost have to be visionaries looking ahead? And I know there are famous quotes from uh, from Steve Jobs about I'm giving people what they didn't know they needed, something like that. So what's your thought? Does designers have to look that far ahead to know the next of what we know, what we don't know we need yet? So I would say absolutely we have to because we have to see what's next. I actually think we have to be three steps ahead. So on the one mm-hmm. hand, it's important that we execute on what we need to do today. But we are the ones, or heard, I like um, heard Simon, what he says about designing is the act of changing existing situations into preferred ones. So if we don't know what those preferred act- or situations are, it's So, again, knowing where we're going, why we're going there, defining those, creating the vision for this, and then taking everyone along. So let's be three steps ahead and go there and make sure we have that vision and get there. So, yes, at least three steps ahead. Thank you, Mm -hmm. Heike. Let's go back to Jonathan Sharia. Jonathan, agree with that three steps ahead? Let's go there before we go to where you are and what you do. I'm just curious if if that's the, the thrust of what we want to talk about. Jonathan, three steps ahead or more? Yeah. yeah, definitely. You need to know where you're, you know, where you're headed, um, you know, in the next, you know, year or so. But it's also really important for the designers in the organization to inspire what's possible, both for the organization and for the customers. That quote, you know, from Steve Jobs is a great example of that, where sometimes people don't necessarily know. And, and you find this out when you're doing user research, you know, when, you, when you're first starting out, you might ask people what they want and, you build it and you show it to them and, and they don't like it and they don't buy it and they don't spend their money on it. So it's really uh, a designer's job to really go in into what are the needs that people have and and also looking forward to like the technologies and the, the experiences that you can build and inspiring both the organization and the customers to that new local maximum of, uh, of an experience. Very interesting, and there's that wonderful word experience. We talk about customer-centric. We talk about customer experience. Everybody wants to have a good experience today, and we deserve it. Jeremy Johnson, join this conversation. What do you think about three steps ahead? Right, wrong? How many steps? Yeah, uh, I mean, I do think understanding customers can help define those trends. So when you act, when you go out and you observe, when you sit with, you know, when when you walk a mile in their shoes, you understand their world, and you can see potentially where they're heading. Um, but but more importantly, potentially where things are missing today. Um, and, and I think a lot of organizations that, that we work with, big, you know, Fortune 500 companies, uh, it's a challenge uh, to really serve them well today. Let alone sometimes two, five years in the future. Uh, but I do agree with Jonathan, the design uh, designers are great at envisioning what can be, which is important kind of as a rallying cry for a new organization. 
Thank you very much. Good around the table before we've even started our formal roundtable. Let's go back to Jonathan Chariot. Jonathan, I have three questions for you. Number one, where in the world are you calling from today? Please. Number two, what's your favorite drink? Because all of our Game Changer shows relate back to the flagship show I started in 2011 called Coffee Break with Game Changer. So it doesn't have to be coffee. But what kind of a beverage powers you, makes you happy and feel good and makes you so smart? And what is Project Ronin and what do you do? there. So, Jonathan, you're up first. All right. I am calling from Silicon Valley, so not too far from, you know, San Francisco Mountain View areas. Um, and right now I'm drinking some Persian tea. Um, I'm mm. half Persian, and so that the tea runs in our blood. I, I love uh, tea in the morning and at night, um, maybe throughout the day. Um, it's pretty much just Earl Grey with a few other uh, flavors in there, and uh, it's always really calming and enjoyable. Um, nice. Project Ronin is a, a wonderful company I joined recently uh, around cancer intelligence. So really um, bringing all the data that, that uh, we have into the decision-making process for both the patients and the oncologists so that we can provide better care that's personalized to the individual. And we have all kinds of, uh, of plans for that um, outside of, of cancer care in the future. But Right now, we're focusing on um, really revolutionizing that experience between the patient and the doctor. Mm, so incredibly important. Jonathan, I just happened to look up, oh, just in my spare time, I looked up Persian tea. I have some dear friends who whose families originated in Persia. And let me ask you if this is correct. Persian tea, they also call it chai, according to kalamala.com. And it says that the main spices are including cloves, cinnamon, pepper, ginger, and cardamom. And some chai drinkers have been known to add cloves, bay leaves, peppercorns, fennel, or anise, or anise, as some people say. So would you have some favorite spices you like in your Persian tea? I prefer the, the cardamom in mine and, uh, and a lot of sugar. <laughs> <laughs> he likes the sugar with a little tea added. I can I can appreciate that. Thank you very much. Well, I can see from your PR photo you're smiling, so it must be making you happy. Thank you, Jonathan, and welcome. And now let's go around to Jeremy Johnson. Jeremy, same three questions. Where in the world are you today? What drink powers you or relaxes you, which I should should be asking of everyone? And what do you do at Project 202? And what is it? Go ahead, Jeremy. Yeah, I'm, uh, I was looking for a quiet spot with good Wi-Fi, so I'm calling from my home, uh, which is near the DFW Airport uh, here in Dallas, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, like, jo- like Jonathan, uh, uh, I'm actually somewhat known for my, uh, what I would call a, a tea addiction. I always have a glass in reach. Uh, I, don't, I don't drink coffee, so caffeine, all the caffeine I get is from tea, and it's black, usually iced uh, with a bit of sugar. Um, yeah, in Texas, we're lucky. Every restaurant has tea, so wherever you go, you can get either sweet or unsweet tea. You can t- take mm-hmm. your pick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so I, I refer. I'm the vice president of customer experience for Project Two Hundred Two. Um, Project Two Hundred Two is a, a custom software design and development company uh, that helps large, well-known organizations through what we call experience-driven transformation. Um, and this is to help them understand their customers, translate those insights into actionable improvements, and then ultimately help their business grow. Thank you very much. I'm laughing because I'm in Durham, North Carolina, and as you can imagine, Uh sweet tea is on the menu everywhere you go. And I'm a New Yorker, and (laughs) I don't like sweet tea, so I don't know. I I prefer water or hot chocolate or a good glass of uh, Chardonnay or a sweet Riesling over the sweet tea, but... 
Go ahead. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I've been traveling recently, and I noticed up north, especially, they always want to put lemonade in your iced tea, which I think is a big no-no, but <laughs> common in some places. And then we have Long Island iced tea. Have you heard of that? Right. You must have. <laughs> yeah. Yes, which which has a couple of couple of hits of something very strong in it. You don't want to give it yeah. to your kids. Yeah, without not without a warning, parental control. Recommended. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jeremy. Pleasure to have you on. And now let's go around to our third panelist, Heike Rapp at SAP. Heike, same three questions. Where are you? What do you love to drink? And what do you do? She's laughing. Go ahead. I'm laughing because it's all, we have the tea theme going because <clears throat> I, I started drinking tea at 14 and I'm only slightly older than that now. So my cup is actually a beautiful wood fire Japanese cup and I like a good Assam tea with just a hit of milk. But I also I love tea ceremonies, so the Japanese tea ceremony, Chinese tea ceremony and just even tea time. Just go and you know have a cup of tea to relax, talk to people. And I'm calling from San Francisco, so I think Jonathan, you and I should get together and have a cup of tea one of these days. That'd be nice. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, and then, <laughs> and then, um, what do I do? I am VP of Product Design at the Customer Experience Division of SAP. I've been there for not quite a year, and what we are doing in CX is actually build a complete customer experience solution almost like a CRM product for our customers. And um, the strength is that we can tie it into the back end. So over time, we're in the beginning efforts of doing that, of tying the user experience together across all the various lines of businesses, but really coming up with this end-to-end solution that our customers can have a good time with customer experience. Thank you very much. And Heike, I looked up mm-hmm. Assam. You mentioned Assam tea. It's a black yes. tea named after the region of its production, Assam, A-S-S-A-M, mm-hmm. in India. It's manufactured from the plant Camellia sinicens, and the variation is mm-hmm. Assamica. It's also used in the Yunnan province in China. Assam tea is mostly grown at or near sea level and is known for its body briskness, multi-flavor, and strong, bright color. Uh, Assam teas and blends containing Assam are often sold as breakfast tea. For example, Irish breakfast tea, a maltier and straw. I know this right off the top of my head, Heike. I just want you to know I'm just the I'm just the tea maven here. Of course, I just know all of this interesting information. So I don't want to shock the three of you, but I'm not allowed near caffeine on radio show days, and I think you know why. And I have another show an hour after ours is over. Tuesdays are two shows an hour apart. So all I'm allowed to drink here, and it's raining, by the way, and it was 35 degrees here this morning. In Durham, and my neighbors have their plants. They just got landscaping done, and I'm thinking, why? It's so cold, those poor plants. So half mm-hmm. the plants are up. The grass is still brown. It's raining today. It's yucky. It's 35 degrees, high of 42, but two days ago, it was 78 degrees. You never know. So all I'm allowed to drink is water on radio show days. I'll have something a little stronger later, and I am here in Durham and happy to be here. And We, of course, I have to do a shout-out to Esther Blankenship at SAP who put together this panel. And Esther, always wonderful. Yes, we've got, I'm looking at the tweets here. We are tweeting at hashtag SAP Radio, and I've already tweeted, and Project 202 is tweeting. By the way, Jeremy, where did Project 2 get its name, and how come the spelling? I meant to ask you, P-R-O-J-E-K-T-202. Where does that come from? 
Yeah, so that's the, the German spelling of project. And our one of our co-founders uh, who uh, is in our Austin, uh, Texas office, um, is German. So that, that is where that came from. Uh-huh. And 202 means what? Um, it, it's, uh, I like to say it's a, it's a step up from 101, uh, but uh, also <laughs> it, it kind of uh, signifies back to the, the originating group that started it, how there were two folks and then two more joined them. So. <laughs> 202 instead of 2 plus 2. I like I like that. Thank you. Thank you for your candor. So we're going to take a quick break. The pause that refreshes. And I think Jonathan and Jeremy and Ike are all going to grab a cup of tea or at least think about a cup of tea. And I'm going to take a sip of my water. We'll be back in 90 seconds. It's just a short break. You can count them along with me. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to still be me after the break. Yes, only water. If you're just tuning in, this is Designing a Game-Changing User Experience. This is episode number two. This is one of our newer series. And our topic today is design and UX. Show me the business value. That's really what it all comes down to. Design is not just a pretty thing, so get over that. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. I promise we'll be back. Aaron, out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. How will we work in the not-too-distant future? Will we work with or against machines? What can we do to create user experiences that make work delightful? How can we design technology to benefit our lives and society? These are some of the big questions facing business people, technologists, and designers today. Good design is the master key that opens the doors to technology's possibilities and people's abilities. When the user experience is right, it means we can work in a cooperative partnership with machines. Designing a game-changing user experience brings you insights from the thought leaders who are working to make this happen. Learn how great user experiences allow people and businesses to take maximum advantage of technology's advances. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Designing a Game-Changing User Experience, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Designing a Game-Changing User Experience. And we are back, and we have three very smart panelists, and they're all tea drinkers. That hasn't happened in a long time. Jonathan Chariot at Project Ronin, Jeremy Johnson at Project, spelled the German way, 202, and Hike, which is a step up from 101, we just found out, and Hike a rap at SAP. And we're talking today about design and UX. UX, if you've been living under a rock for a while as user experience, show me the business value. We're going to start our roundtable formally now, and we're going to kick off with some 
notes that Jonathan Chariot at Project Ronin has sent me, and here's what Jonathan says. Listen up, everyone. This is important. Most companies still do not understand the role of design. Design is shoehorned into the beginning or end of the product process, and research is almost deprioritized. Design is still viewed as how it looks, and designers still fight for their processes to be integrated. This is, uh, I don't know if it's a condemnation or a damning or just a reality check. Jonathan, please tell us more. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it really is. It's just a reality check because when you, when you look at the context of where we're at in this whole process of digital product design, you know, if you started your career the moment the graphical user interface was invented in Xerox Park, you know, you would just be now uh, ready in retirement age. So we haven't had too many designers who've gone through this whole thing and know everything and, you know, have figured it all out and, and have started to really understand how, you know, design not only should, should act and, and how it should work, but also how it should be integrated into the processes. And at the same time, of course, um, you know, the, the development arms have had the same problems of, you know, they, they figured out waterfall and then maybe trying out the sprint thing. And, and so design is, is kind of lagging behind that as well. And so, you know, when you look around, I, you know, we're here in the, the uh, Silicon Valley, and when you look around at a lot of the, the major tech companies, you know, there, there's still a lot of uh, misunderstanding around design, what its role is, uh, what designers even do if you go around and ask some of the, the people in your organization to define the designer's role, you'll get a bunch of different answers. You know, there's still a lot of people who might say that, you know, the, the designers are the people who make it look good or, you know, who make it um, something that users want to use. Um, and so you get a very varying level of, of uh, definition. And so when you really look at, you know, really big companies who even say, or even at the CEO level, that we value design, when you get to the process level, you don't really see design in fully integrated into that process. Oftentimes, the uh, design is really just this flexible piece that uh, is integrated at different points in time. And, you know, the designer is spending sometimes uh, one or two days on research, and sometimes they're able to spend a little bit more. You know, when it comes down to creating different types of, uh, of solutions, you know, they might have you know, a couple hours, they might have a day. Uh, and so oftentimes, they're the flexible piece that's trying to figure out how to work within the uh, the rest of the team? Uh, how are we going to you know make enough work for the developers to work on? Uh, it's still uh, in that kind of uh, process, and so you don't get the full value out of the the designers and the design process in your organization when it's not fully integrated end to end in the development process. Thank you, Jonathan. Good overview, a good reality check, as I said before. Jeremy Johnson, join us, please. Jeremy, thoughts on what Jonathan just shared? Agree or disagree? Yeah, no, I totally agree. You know, we start looking at, like, why does design matter now? I think it's because companies are finally realizing that they have to compete on experience. Um, and to Jonathan's point, when you look at something like agile software development, which is kind of the, the gold standard for software development, um, it's been, what, like 18 years now? And we still bump into companies that are just now starting to build software in that manner. Um, many times we hear from companies um, where they, they realize that market share is getting taken from them. You know, the, the whole, this company, this, this upstart's eating my lunch, this competitor's eating my lunch. Why are they eating your lunch? Oh, because they have great design. And, and they might think of that as visual design, but usually it's much more than that. It's, it's usability, it's experience, uh, and we, we want to be there as well. 
Um, and I also think designers need to be very sharp because they're shaping our future. So, you know, as Jonathan mentioned, you know, sometimes they only get thrown a, thrown a bone. Here, you get one day to do research. Mm-hmm. That's, that's actually not enough time, right? Uh, they need to fight for a plan. They need to evangelize their value um, because today business leaders are interacting with designers, and that's going to shape how they think about it in the future. So if they have a really bad experience with the design team, and it might not even be the design team's fault. It could be the situation they're, pl- they're placed in. It can immediately allow the business team to kind of dismiss that and then not invest in it in the future. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. Great, great perspective here. Uh, Heike, join us. Agree or disagree? I, I think we're going to have a, a full agreement here, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I mean, we know design's importance is rising. Um, what we as designers need to do, because it's often unclear what does design exactly do, right? And there are so many variations of design, even when we look at user experience design, you know, is it interaction design, there's part of user interface design, there's this part of design, that part of design. So for us, even with semantics to be stronger, to define this is what design is and what it does, and once mm-hmm. we start saying, you know, human-centered design, once we start talking in the same language within a company, eventually people will hear this as well. And then what we also need to do is really show the value. So, yes, when we do usability studies, when you can show over time that actually you know, task to finish has been reduced or even delight has been created. So showing the business value in that context is super important. And we just have to keep working at this um, to show that, okay, it is super important. Then for us as design leaders, I will also say when we lead teams, the design teams, because I know, you know, we're always part of another group and designers, we always cut across horizontally almost the glue that keeps it together. And we also need to give our designers a sign that, again, that they can converse in the language of business or developers or product owners to show that value, to show why it's so important. Thank you very much. I, I want to go around the mm-hmm. table. I have a question before we move on to uh, some, some some notes from Jeremy Johnson. Whose job is it at a company? And, and I know you're a, a leader at, at SAP in design, Heike. Let's start with you. Mm-hmm. Whose job is it to say to the business, come on, it's not just the pretty stuff. It's not just the cute stuff. It's not just the bells and whistles. There is a bottom line impact here. There is an importance. It's part of the branding. It's who we are. It's understanding what people need now, what they might need tomorrow. Whose job is it to get the company to take it seriously? Heike, without being specific about names and places, why don't you just give me a, a yeah. one-minute overview of this, and then I'll ask Jonathan and Jeremy the same question. So whose job is it to say, stop, enough with the cute stuff? This is important. Whose job? <laughs> Good observation, exactly. Mm. So it is. it starts with the designers, and I would say the design community. Again, once we know what we're doing and why, and we can tell this story that everyone evangelizes design, right? And everyone needs to be able, starting with the designers, to say, no, this goes beyond what it looks like. I always say that, you know, if you want to something to look pretty, hire a stylist. That is a specific job that is important, but designers are not stylists per se, right? It goes much broader. And then to be able to explain this. So it does start with design, but I also think what is super important is that business at the highest level understands the value of design, what it can do, what it does do, and becomes a collaborator on this. 
And we have seen, especially in Silicon Valley, that you know, not, uh, that so many design companies have been bought by corporations. And why is this? So again, they can start seeing this value. It is increasing. We're bringing something to the table. But to answer the question again is, it starts with design, but then really has to spread out. And the understanding of what design is needs to be across sea level. It needs to spread throughout the company for us to continue to be successful. Thank you very much, Jonathan Chariot. Mm-hmm. Let's get your take on this as well, please. Jonathan, how do, we, how do you make the change? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, uh, it's, you know, it's my job. It's every designer's job to, you know, as you work with others, to constantly be sharing what you do. And I think that's a good idea for any role to be, you know, anytime you're interacting with other roles, to be constantly teaching them the decisions you're making, why you're making those decisions, and overall educating them. But I think, you know, uh, an, an ideal scenario, you have leadership who both fully understands and values design and that you have um, design reflected in the leadership. You know, um, there was that famous uh, research that was done in the, you know, looking through the SAP uh, 500 and in looking through some design criteria of, you know, do is design reflected in their leadership? And that was pretty much the, 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 the main um, requirement. And so they found 16 of the five S&P 500 companies that had that. And then they looked at, you know, over time, how much, how does that compare to the S&P 500? And they found it, you know, over 200% increase over the rest of the group. So it's really, really important to have that leadership down level uh, where you have representation at the leadership level. Thank you. That's where I thought we were going with this. Jeremy Johnson, please weigh in on this. Thoughts on how to get this to be respected. What do you think? Yeah. So I, actually, I do feel like um, I actually have a list of things. Like if I was going to take a job somewhere, I feel like mm-hmm. there are a list of questions you could ask an organization to kind of understand how difficult your, your task, uh, and Jonathan uh, said it correctly, it's your job, how difficult your task will be of, of getting design integrated kind of into the DNA of that organization. Um, if, if I were going to say how to do that, it would be to sh- show your effectiveness. Um, I think what's already been said, make sure you speak their language um, and show results. You know, pick a hero project, pick something where you could have a really big effect on and actually do, uh, kind of uh, uh, engage in your full uh, design process and show them the value from that that particular project, and then from there it, it'll spread, and then and then it makes your your job much easier at that point. Thank you very much. I appreciate that impromptu part of the roundtable, Jeremy. While I have you, I'm looking at your notes. You sent me so much great information, but here's something I think will drive home to our listeners around the world in in, in the B2B space and B2C space. You say it's important to remember your brand is your experience. If something is broken across any touch point in your customer's journey, your customer will blame the brand. Jeremy, please expand this for us and do companies get this? Talk to me. Yeah, uh, yeah. I would say probably few companies really understand this and I would say it's probably a more mature way of looking at design. So you could take any organization, and obviously you could focus on one thing, but when you think of it from the customer's perspective, usually they have a connection with that brand with multiple touch points. So maybe they're going into a brick-and-mortar store, maybe they're calling into the call center, maybe there's a mobile app, there's a desktop site. Um, And when you really look across their entire journey, if we make it easy, let's say it's a journey to, to purchase something, um, usually, uh, you know, in my experience, when you really assess and you go out and you sit with those customers, you observe them, 
you shop with them, uh, you really start to find all these breakpoints across that, that brand. And all it takes is one of those uh, for them to really uh, be turned off and, and, and kind of start to lose the loyalty uh, of that individual based on just one of those things uh, uh, not working well for them. Thank you very much. Let's see what Heike has to say about this. What do you think? How important is design to brand appreciation, brand <laughs> respect, brand loyalty? Let's take it to the loyalty level. Yes. No, this is so dear to my heart. So thank you for asking that question. And Jeremy, it's a great mm-hmm. observation. So actually, um, the job before SAP, I was um, doing brand strategy for another software company. And, of course, the first question was, what is brand? Why does it even matter? We don't have to go to the definition Mm -hmm. of this, but it is the collection of all experiences you've ever had with this company. And so brand loyalty, obviously, also has to do with trust. How do you create trust? And especially in this day and age where we look at software as a service, as we look at subscription, right, building this trust, keeping this trust, ensuring that people renew is super important. And for this to happen, you really need to align the whole company behind you, make sure they understand what this brand is. You know, why should someone in finance understand what my brand values are? Well, mm-hmm. because it's important, because as the salesperson interacts with a customer, someone from finance might, someone from legal might, and eventually they end up with a product. So all of these brand values, they need to carry across in everything that the company releases says and that everyone is aware that they are building this brand for the company and, again, in the eyes of the customer. So, Jeremy, exactly what you said as well. So, yeah. Thank mm-hmm. thank you. Jonathan Chariot, love to get you to join us on this one. What do you think about the brand brand value with design? How serious is this? Yeah, that's a great way to look at it because – you know, um, and a, a brand and an experience, it's all really the same thing. And one of the best ways to really start to visualize what that means in, um, in a, in a great example of, of that is, um, so AdWords, uh, Google AdWords did a great advertisement campaign a while back where they showed, you know, a person kind of going through this checkout, but it was a real-life checkout, you know, at a grocery store trying to buy some bread, and they kind of were you know, jokingly going through all the, the, the annoying things that people experience during checkout and sign up, uh, you know, having to have a login, trying to remember your login, you know, having to do security codes, you know, the, all the weird stuff we do around shipping and trying to extract, you know, more, more and more uh, money out of them at the end of the checkout. So it's, it's really mm-hmm. uh, visceral a way to look at this um, bad user experience. And this is one of the things that I do sometimes to help companies understand what their experience is like, is you sort of do the role play of somebody um, playing out what the experience is, actually talking out the UI and um, having the user interact with them that way. And a lot of these, you know, user experience gaps become extremely, um, you know, obvious of, you know, wow, this doesn't make any sense, or wow, this actually does kind of, you know, seem pretty rude or, you know, yeah, no one would ever ask someone to do this. And uh, it's really the the same way with an experience or a brand. You know, you wouldn't say, oh, well, you know, the, you know, me getting frustrated and yelling at you in soccer is is totally separate than my personality. You know, I know it's like, you know, I've had that experience with you. Now I have that experience with you. And and I uh, adhere all that experience through all the interactions I have with you. And so it's not any different with a brand or a, a product. 
um, we, you know, uh, build these experiences over time and we come to expect certain things. So that's why it's really interesting, too, when you have a literal voice of a UI or a tone of, of, a, um, of a product because that just adds more and more characteristics to this kind of almost personhood that the experience ends up uh, having. And so it's really important to look at all those, those interactions throughout because that's what's going to overall build the, um, the person's expectations of you. Thank you very much. All great answers. And uh, I want to just give you all a, a, a very quick, uh, maybe it's a design experience, a, a very negative experience I have. I have my own radio show on Monday nights on a different internet channel. And I interview mostly independent authors, self-published authors, filmmakers, music composers, performers. And I recently had somebody whose PR agent sent me their book. But they didn't send me the PDF ebook. They didn't send it to me on Kindle. They sent it to me on another site. In order to get the oh. book, I had to create an account. I had to create a profile. I had to create a password. I had to sign up. Then I had to figure out which device to send it to. Then I had to figure out how to get it off that device. Now, I've, I've been in computers for the past 40 years at all different levels. I'm not new to online machinations. By the time I was done, I was not happy. I emailed the person's press person. And I said, seriously, 20 minutes and I still can't get the book? Could you just said? She never answered me back. I finally discovered I had downloaded the book six times and it was somewhere on Amazon and it was at the category of devices and docs. It was not in the book section. It was in the document section. So I had to find it in the documents. I didn't give up. I kept doing it, and I found out that it had arrived six times on another one of my devices, but it was not on the regular Kindle list. It wasn't even on Kindle. Now, is that bad user design? Let me just quickly go around the table. Uh, Jonathan, was that a horrible user design experience for me? Well, maybe you could argue that, you know, by the time you know, you got halfway through, you really wanted to, to get that book. You really, you know, you had put so much effort in that you didn't want to lose all that effort. This you know, is true. You use these, um, these kind of user experience things for, for bad, you know, the, the psychology. And so, um, you know, maybe it's designed that way. But, you know, oftentimes I, I totally agree um, to be a little bit more serious. Like, oftentimes, you know, we, we sometimes have the business value over the user value where we say, you know, okay, the business says, you know, if you're trying to put your... Um, uh, yourself in the shoes of the person who made all those decisions. You know, maybe the business was saying, hey, you know, these people are eating our lunch. You know, we, why are we giving away our customers to all these other platforms? We need to create mm -hmm. our own platform. And, Good if, point. and if, you know, if you're only listening to yourself, it eventually it makes sense, right? Mm hmm. Yeah, it's just so very inconvenient. You know, and I, of the user I didn't give first, up. Then you right. work backwards from there. Thank you. <laughs> Jeremy, a quick comment on that I want to bring up. We're almost at the crystal ball predictions time of the show, but Jeremy, thoughts on that quickly? What do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, we spend a lot of time illuminating the customer experience of product teams. I mean, when you think about all the products that were kind of created in some brainstorming session in a room, and at the time it sounded like a good idea with people who don't have your job or your role, right? Uh, mm -hmm. and so really illuminating to them what the end user, what the end customer, what the employee, you know, what they're doing, uh, that, that's, uh, that's great data and insight to make real decisions off of, not just these decisions in, in these far-off boardrooms, very disconnected from the customers. 
Thank you very much. And Heike, we have just time. We're at 51 after. Technically, we're ready for predictions, but I want to bring up one thing from your notes here, Heike. It's a quote from Eric Speakerman or Spikerman, and it's good design <laughs> is not cheap. Cheap design is no good. Can you just quickly comment on this? And I'll, Heike, I'll let you do the predictions first. Give me a one-minute prediction, <laughs> 60 seconds after you explain the statement, please. And then, Jer- uh, Jonathan, oh. you get ready, and Jeremy will finish with you. Go ahead, Heike. Yes, thank you. So, yes, good design is not cheap, and cheap design is not good. So, again, you know, for us to show the value of design, I mean, you have to put a little bit of resources and some muscle behind it, and especially advice for young designers. A lot of us, you know, when in, early in our career, we were also asked, oh, can you just do this for me for free, and it'll be good for your portfolio? And no, you know, design, as anything, should be paid for. And it's really, you know, however much value you put to it, how many resources you put in, that's what you're going to get out as well. And I would just like to, another quote for this is, don't Mm -hmm. show me what you value or don't tell me what you value. Show me what your budget is and I'll tell you what you value. Um, Joe Biden said this, so just take design seriously and make sure you pay for it and get good designers. It shows. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Good. 60-second 60, 60 yeah. prediction, Heike. You're first, then then uh, Jonathan, and then Jeremy. Heike, what's your prediction for design? 60 seconds. Design will be ever more important. We've seen the trends. So we're going to have every major corporation that cares about its own future will have a chief design officer. In as much as we have chief financial officers, chief operation officers, the chief design officer will be there in every company. Thank you very much. Jonathan Sherry at 60-second prediction. What do you say? Yeah, I think we'll start to see, I totally agree with that, and I think we'll also start to see um, the role of designers start to permeate uh, a lot of other roles, like, you know, product managers and and even engineers. And so a lot of what uh, designers currently own will start to be shared with other roles, and it will be fully uh, integrated end-to-end in the experience. Thank you very much. I like that. And Jeremy Johnson, you're up. Predict, please. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think within the next five to ten years, you know, design helping drive positive business outcomes will just become a common part of every product or service design and development project. Yeah, as I mentioned, agile software development, the gold standard, it's been around for 18 years, and companies are just now implementing that at scale. It just takes a while to turn these big ships around. Um, I, I do think Absolutely. we'll be talking about design or some iteration, and as companies you know, let's perfect a process that I feel like is kind of inherently messy. Um, companies that start today will have a leg up in the economy that's becoming more and more focused on the experience. Thank you very much. I have a quick uh, bonus question for all three of you. You were, you were so efficient in your predictions. We actually have an extra <laughs> minute and a half. So I'm going to start with Jonathan up at the top, around the table. Do you think the word design needs to be changed to something else? Should it be the chariot effect, for example? What Do you think design <laughs> is misleading because we think about, oh, I want a designer dress or designer jeans or a designer phone? Do you think it's not a strong enough word? Yes or no? And if so, what word would you replace? Jonathan, quickly, go. Yeah, that is a great question. I, I totally agree. Design is such a broad term, and it's a, it's a great term mm-hmm. because it's really, um, you know, about the rendering of intent around, you know, for a specific outcome. Um, so, yeah, do we need another um, uh, term? I like the chariot effect. I wouldn't, I wouldn't complain, <laughs> but, um, you know, I'll, I'll take a whack at it in, in the short moment we have here. You know, maybe it's something more around, um, you know, um, experience management or <laughs> I don't okay. know. Okay. 
Something like that. Jeremy Johnson, 15 seconds, fast. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I agree, and I know there's the whole kind of design thinking uh, wave, adding the word thinking Mm -hmm. to design. But, I mean, really, there's a method for delivering great experiences, and it's a mix of business, tech, and design. It's methods and activities and processes. So, I don't know, it's just good product and service design uh, and development um, is what it should be. It It doesn't need to be its own silo. And that's JJ. That's the Jeremy Johnson effect. And hike a wrap. I can give you about twenty seconds here. What do you think? Should we change the word design, and what would it be? No, no, no. Let's keep it design, <laughs> design, design. I think we can have. What would help is to have a qualifier with it. So, is it human-centered design? That would be a good choice. But ah. overall, we're keeping design. And yes, you know, like you said, dress design, but let we are keeping design. We're going to define it, and we will take it out into the world. Especially Thank you very much. Business. I like that. She's a staunch supporter of the word design. I have a special shout-out to my colleague at SAP, Mohammed Amer, A-M-E-R. His handle on Twitter is BizUser, and he just informed me that he has accepted early retirement, and he will be working on his dissertation throughout 2019, and he won't be on Twitter much. We will miss you, BizUser. You are our most loyal, most loyal ever, ever tweeter for Game Changers Radio, so we wish you all the best. And also a shout-out to Esther Blankenship for sponsoring the series. A shout-out to Marcel Kabahag, wishing you well, and uh, Aaron, our engineer at World Talk Radio at the Business Channel. Thank you for getting us on the air and keeping us there. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? I want a designer seatbelt. I just don't know where to get one. Go out and be a game changer today, just like Jonathan Chariot at Project Ronin, just like Jeremy Johnson at Project 202, and just like Hiker Rap at SAP. I'll be back in one hour with a new a new edition of Changing the Game with Revenue Growth. It's the formerly called Think Big Work, small focused on SME, small to mid-sized businesses. See you in an hour. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Designing a Game-Changing User Experience, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.